0: so ha- have them, uh, having them together as a medley is exciting to me. Is there any better picture of joy than a child on Christmas morning? Now, can, can you think of anything that better captures that overflowing, exuberant joy than to see the child come rushing down and, and find, usually earlier than mom and dad want to get up, and find the gifts and be Just caught up in that moment, having received the fulfillment of their hopes, of their wishes. And it is a powerful, powerful thing, but there's kind of a problem with it. Eventually all the presents are opened, right? And then there's just the letdown of Christmas is over? We spent a month building up to this and and now it's over. You know, that, that kind of joy, that exuberant, overflowing excitement and celebration is not less real, but it is, how, however, I feel like I feel like the Vice President up here. So what's going on? There is a power in it. There is a power in that joy, but... It is limited. It has to be. Because it's rooted in that initial discovery. And then that ends. And and what happens when that kid doesn't get the thing that they most wished for? Right? There's a disappointment. That, that, That happens. That's real. And we want to acknowledge that. Because sometimes... The gifts that we get, no matter how good they are, no matter how, what that might be way better than the thing I wished for. But I don't always get what I want. We're like that a lot, adults, too. We get really excited about certain things. If you doubt it, think back to 2016 when the greatest team in Major League Baseball, the Chicago Cubs, won the World Series, as God ordained, finally. <laughs> that had to be god's sovereign predestination for that to happen but anyway the, as as we watch that in the final moments you get that last out and there's the celebration everybody's jumping all over each other they're not even speaking the same languages some of these guys don't don't speak the same language but they're, res, they're they're just so exuberant by the way mike the white sox are awesome too i just want to throw that out for you they won the world Series before we did so yeah that's what whatever. But the reality of it is that joy fades. There's a joy in that victory. It's natural. It's right. It should be celebrated. It always used to drive me crazy when, and I shouldn't say it always did because there was a time I thought this way. But the, the penalizing various celebrations, especially with the high school kids. Now, I don't want to see people showboating and acting silly when, when, when they win and when they do well. But don't we want these kids to be excited about performing well? Don't we want them to be excited about their teams winning? That's great. It's limited. It fades. Because eventually you move on. (laughs) As a Cub fan, they haven't been back since. I'm not waiting another hundred years. I'm just going to tell you. But there is something real yet limited in all human joy because our human joy our our human centered joy our the joy that comes from our understanding is circumstantial in other words we very often are relying on things to get better for us to celebrate we want a reason to celebrate and we expect it to come on terms that we can grasp with our senses No matter what we do, that kind of joy will always eventually end up gone, empty, hollow, unsatisfied. However, and this is our core reality for today, the real joy of Christmas is the victory God gives us through Jesus Christ. It's not opening presents, it's not the excitement of a family gathering, it's not the joy of realizing your wife made your favorite pie, none of those things. The real joy of Christmas is the victory God gives us through Jesus Christ. Now as we see these four concepts that we're walking through in Advent, the, the uh, hope, peace, joy, and next week we'll talk about love, they all culminate in Christ. And they're all interrelated. You don't get one without the other. So as we find that God is a promise keeper, and our real hope of Christmas is God's promise kept through Jesus Christ, which leads to a peace of recognizing that we can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. When we take that in, when we fully grasp it, we wrap our minds around what that means, that we, who have no right to even mention God's name in our own sinful flesh, who have been separated from our Creator, who are sideways of our purpose for existing because of sin, that He reached in to our world put on flesh died in our place let that that sink in for a moment our crimes were against him our pride all of our distortion of who God is it's a crime against God and yet he's the one who came to save us when that really catches our attention I don't know how you cannot have unspeakable joy? How do you not celebrate when you find the reality that the God of all things wants you personally to be His child? As we walk through this, we're going to see a few things. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. This is just a a picture of what we see In really all of the psalms in various ways but in in so many we see this joyful content and there's a celebration that the psalmist has of the things that God does over and over we see the praise of God for his mighty deeds for his victories for his faithfulness to his people and so just I, I could have picked up any number of psalms I chose this one Uh, And I would encourage you, uh, as your homework, to read through the entire psalm. We're only going to look at part of it. Let's start with verse 1. As we look at this idea of a joy expected, the psalmist writes, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, in other words, the priests of God, His love endures endures forever let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever and for our purposes here today let the household he has gathered at real life say join me his love endures forever this is a celebration of God jump down if you would to verse 18 Uh, let's go to let's go to nineteen. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes the Lord has done it this very day let us rejoice today and be glad this entire psalm focuses on celebrating God rejoicing in God singing praise but not just praise a jubilant praise why God has won the victory God is the salvation of his people now we can look at this as the rabbis later would recognize in this and see prophecies of the anointed one of the coming one I don't know if the psalmist recognized that as he wrote it that the Lord was inspiring him the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to say things about the Messiah who would come but the rabbis later recognized it The church has recognized it. We see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We see the rejected Messiah who is the foundation of our life and faith and His church. Notice this. We too often pursue a pale imitation of joy. We too often pursue a pale imitation of joy. I'm reminded as I'm speaking of, of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, weight of glory. As he talked about our, our, our expectations are not too great but too small. We are satisfied with things that are so much smaller than God intends for us. There is a greatness in the work of God on behalf of His people. There is a greatness, a vastness in God's movement, in His activity. But what happened in Israel, we see all these celebrations in the Psalms of the goodness, the greatness, the glory of God. And not many generations after that, we see the prophets... Speaking to Israel as a people who has forgotten the one who blessed them. They began to focus on God winning the victory, yes, but changing their circumstances. Fixing my now rather than doing what God intends to do. Lord, I want you to bless me. Lord, I want you to heal me. Lord, I want you to protect me and prosper me. Do this for your people. And they would even use terms and words that would point to God as the recipient of glory while they continued to seek only His hand and not His face, only the blessing and not the blesser. They, over time, allowed their expected joy in the victory and mighty hand of God, in His presence with His people, to devolve, to become small and weak, and a pale imitation of what they actually sang in these psalms. We do the same thing. Far too often, we pursue a pale imitation of joy. Write this down. We often rejoice over the fleeting and fail to seek the lasting. We often rejoice over the fleeting and fail to seek the lasting. They naturally celebrated victories. Of course they did, just as we do. When something goes right, of course you're going to celebrate it. You get a new promotion, you celebrate. People in love love to celebrate it. They have wedding ceremonies. Stanton's getting married in a couple of weeks here, coming right up. And it's exciting. And you're in love. And you have this... this. Uh, Beautiful ceremony, whether it's a few people or a lot of people, there is a beauty and a joy as you celebrate the love that you share. But then the honeymoon gets over, doesn't it? Raise your hand, say amen, if you know the honeymoon gets over. Right? Those are all the married people. Everybody else is probably single. So, the reality of it is, we celebrate the joy in that moment, but if that is the foundation of our joy in marriage we're not going to probably stay married very long. or we're not going to enjoy it as we should. When the joy of marriage is bigger than the moment, it's bigger than the celebration of the in-love feeling, then we find something that's not fleeting, but lasting. But you may notice there are not a lot of songs on the radio about paying bills and raising kids and doing all the mundane things of life. There are not a lot of Hallmark movies, there are none, that, that get to the push and broom time of life. They do the fun part, the easy part. You get through your little, whatever silly conflict you're dealing with, you fall in love, you have that you know first kiss, or you get married, and that, that's it. We ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after, just like every fairy tale. But that's where real life begins. That's where things get hard, but it's in the hard that we find the lasting joy of the relationship. There was a natural celebration of victories, but then over time they forgot the victor. They began to lose focus. Rather than... Focusing on the one who delivered them, they focused on the fact that we've been delivered. It became me-centered rather than God-centered, which is why when John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1, he says that He came to those who were His own, but they didn't receive Him because they allowed their expected joy to veer from blesser to the blessing and as they did so they were looking for a Messiah who was not the real Messiah they were looking for a pale imitation and they focused their attention on the fleeting rather than on the lasting that kind of fleeting joy gets us focused too on God's blessings on our changed circumstances Lord take this away from me. Lord, cure my cancer. Lord, protect me from COVID. Lord, take away this dread that I feel. Lord, make me feel more peace. And it ends up being a lot of me, me, me. I'm not in any way suggesting we should not pray for ourselves. That's not it at all. But when we begin to focus on what God does for me, rather than His own presence, his personal presence with me rejoicing in the fact that he actually wants me you realize God doesn't need us right God is complete in himself he didn't send Jesus down because heaven wasn't quite right without us as a very popular song sings it's not in any way that he didn't want heaven without us so he brought heaven down to us that's heresy and foolishness God doesn't need us, but somehow He wants us. This should be cause for celebration and overflowing joy. Notice this as you write this down. We doubt or overlook the greater joy God has for us. We doubt or overlook the greater joy God has for us. Just like Israel did, when we don't see what we expect to see, we think God isn't moving. When Israel went into exile, as God told them that they would because they had left His way and pursued their own way, He said, I'm going to discipline you. I won't abandon you completely, but I will abandon you for a time that you might learn and return to Me. When they saw this, oh, woe is me. God has withdrawn His hand. And obviously the circumstances would lend themselves to them. And we see that same thing today. Well, God just isn't hearing my prayers because He hasn't done what I expected Him to do. And in the middle of this, we doubt God's goodness. We doubt that what God is actually doing is better than what I expect God to do. Let me say that again because I want to make sure you get it in your brain. We doubt that what God is actually doing is better than what I expect God to do. That's one of the devil's greatest tools for us. We overlook what God is really doing because we're looking for something else. He has offered us the greatest gift, but it wasn't on our wish list, and so we ignore it. We overlook it. We miss out on joy. The real joy of Christmas is the victory God gives us through Jesus Christ. So we move from the joy expected to the joy delivered God delivered the ultimate joy to us in sending His Son. God with us. Not just to be with us so we feel better. Not that. Not just to be with us so that we can have a a nice God rather than a wrathful Old Testament God. I've heard that taught. That's silly. God doesn't change. He's the same God today He was in Genesis. The same God in the Gospels was the same God in Leviticus. It doesn't change. God is doing what He is doing as He has planned it because He does not change. He's not like us. And He kept His promise and He delivered to us a victory that is bigger than than the joy that we expected. Notice this. Jesus came to save the lost. The theme verse of the book of Luke, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That by itself is a pretty big deal. Just wrap your mind around the fact that the God of creation, rather than destroying us as by all rights He should have, Rather than saying, you are a rebellious race, you're done. That wouldn't even be an effort, right? The flood of Noah's day was merciful to us. He could have snuffed out the race immediately and started over, but he didn't. He wiped the slate, but he kept a remnant. He didn't give up. Which is even a silly thing to say because he's God giving up his... That's just a a human way of saying it. But this reality that the God of creation, who is perfectly holy and is offended beyond my ability to describe it by the very presence of sin, which is in every way rebellion against Him, everything wrong in the world is because of sin. Everything wrong in the world is something, don't miss this, that I participate in every time I sin because I sin because I am a sinner that sin over there that somebody else is doing I'm still participating in that as we together as a people rebel against God so why in the world would God actually care to save us when he could have started over with an entirely new race Yeah, this human thing didn't work out boom Thanos snap bam we're going to just wipe it out Instead, He, at great cost to Himself, reached down to seek us and to save us. And we think it's somehow our righteousness. Come on. Jesus came to save the lost. Secondly, we recognize that Jesus came to conquer sin and death. Jesus came to conquer sin and death. Let's go back to that passage in Luke that we looked at in Luke chapter 1. As we look at this, this passage, we're, between two women, by the way, so in, in case you've heard the lie that the church is anti-woman, throw that away. God does not make women second-class citizens in any way. But we have a conversation between an older woman who was said to be barren and not be able to, to bear children, who is now pregnant At an advanced age, speaking to her younger relative who is wrestling with this conception without yet having a husband, this is a struggle. This is a problem. Except for God's in it. Can you recognize that when God's in it, every problem can become a party? Everything that God is in has a reason for joy even when it's difficult and dark. Mary shows up. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. We recognize from the rest of the chapter that this is John the Baptist. Okay, So uh, picking up again in in, uh, verse 26, Uh, Elizabeth is six months along. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. God is keeping his promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 to keep one of his descendants on the throne forever, to reign over Israel forever. The angel greets her. Mary is kind of freaked out because, hello, angel, right? So this is a strange thing to have an angel show up and say, you're highly favored, the Lord is with you. The angel says to her, don't be afraid, you've found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This is a significant thing because the name Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, means God saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, in other words, God's people, forever. His kingdom will never end now notice she doesn't question the reigning she doesn't question how my son is going to reign forever she knows to anticipate Messiah there's no question that when Mary hears this she knows full well that the angel is saying you are going to give birth to the anointed one the the, the anointed one of God, the Christ, the Messiah but she says "Um, I went to health class, how's this work? and the joy of knowing that God himself will do this. Just as God chose Israel, just as God won the victories for Israel, and he said to them, you just be still, I'll handle this. I'm going to win this victory, you just walk in and take the plunder. I'm going to bring you into this promised land, into cities that you didn't build, so that you can prosper by my hand not yours. Just as God chooses us, opens our eyes, quickens our heart, allows us to be able to recognize in the midst of our hard-hearted sinfulness that we need Him. In the same way, God reaches down and says, you don't have to do the thing that it requires to become pregnant. I'm going to do it. I'm going to handle this. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, even Elizabeth is in her sixth month. Don't miss verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary's response, picturing the real peace of Christmas, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. As she visits Elizabeth, we see Elizabeth prophesying. When it says that she's filled with the Holy Spirit, she's no longer speaking in herself, in her flesh, but she's speaking the words that God has placed in her by the filling of the Holy Spirit in this moment. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, this is verse 42, I'll put my glasses back on. In 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So she prophesies now in verse 42 and following, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. This has to be the Holy Spirit, because the angel didn't tell Elizabeth. He told Mary. But she knows. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me, unborn child, already recognized as her Lord? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill His promises to her. There's joy woven into this. By the way, if you didn't have any other passages of scripture this alone should be enough for us to recognize the very central truth of the sanctity of life in the womb John the Baptist was already John the Baptist in her womb Jesus was already the Lord in the womb life is sacred at every stage in every state of life regardless of your background, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your age you are created in the image of God and we must protect life prosper life at all stages but I digress, let's press forward As we look at what Mary says or, or sings if you will Mary's song here the Magnificat we see these well known words my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We recognize the joy as her spirit rejoices but don't miss out on the fact that the language throughout this is victory language. Christ's delivered joy here is the promise of victory achieved and the certainty of future victory when he returns. As Mary goes through her praise of God she is recognizing what God has done and in the very same breath as is so common in prophecy is recognizing what God is yet to do as if it were already accomplished. When God says He's going to do something, it is so sure it might as well be written down in the history books as if it were in the past. Because it's a guarantee. And her soul rejoices. Jesus came to conquer sin and death. Write this down. Because Jesus won this victory for those who trust Him, we can live in celebration. Because Jesus won this victory, because He came and conquered sin and death. He did what was prophesied when He died on the cross. In Romans 3, we see this powerful picture that every single one of us separated from God by sin. And yet, Christ was made by God to be the sacrifice of atonement for us. Because Jesus won this victory for those who trust him as many as receive him John 12 John 1:12 As many as receive him trust in him receive him by faith to them he gives the right to become children of God So Jesus won this victory for those who trust him and we because of that can live in celebration no longer burdened by the guilt of our sin Don't miss this Jesus saves us. He's already conquered sin and death. Already conquered sin and death. I'm going to have you turn to two passages in a moment. Start with Romans 7. That's where we're going to go. So you can start getting a head, head start here. He's conquered sin and death. And the way that he did that was by wearing our stripes on his back. By carrying our sin, our iniquity on the cross. When Jesus died, our sin died. We were in Him by faith before we were ever born. He died so that your sin and your death could be permanently, utterly defeated. There is no place in the Christian life for a defeated, joyless mentality. That doesn't mean you don't have it. There are lots of Christians who are stuck in a defeated and joyless mentality. But it's not for you. It's not for you. Because all the wrath of God that you can ever face has already fallen on Jesus Christ. He took it all. I mentioned Romans 7. Let's look there together. We're actually going to be moving into Romans 8 from the end of Romans 7. Paul in Romans 7 this is Paul the apostle planter of churches, great evangelist writing the scriptures Right in Romans 7 he's making this very clear point that he is still struggling with sin I keep doing these things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I know I should what a wretched person I am pick up with verse 21 of Romans 7 Paul says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me for in my inner being I delight in God's law. That's who I am. What I really want, deep inside, what I really want is God's law. I delight in this. But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. There's still this battle with the flesh we go through. Paul himself going through it. And his response in 24, he's he's overcome with the emotion of this guilt and says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And just like that, his guilt and shame is transformed. It becomes this exuberant, overflowing joy. Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. I'm still struggling. Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jump down if you would <clears throat> excuse me to uh, uh, to 8 chapter 8 let's say verse 31 Paul still in the same stream of thought rejoicing that there's no condemnation though we have earned it but Christ has taken it he says what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who could be against us He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You were God's enemy when Jesus died. You are now his child by faith because of what Jesus did. If he did that for you while you were his enemy, can you really believe that now you're as his child? You still have to try to earn a relationship? You have to be worthy of this? Jesus did it all. It's Jesus plus nothing. Verse 11, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. The devil can say what he wants. The devil can bring the accusations. They are no longer valid because the penalty has been paid in Christ. He can say to you, You're a terrible person. And you can say, Yep, I'm a wretch. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He did it. So everything that was mine is now His, and everything that is His is now mine. 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution famine nakedness danger sore as it is written for your sakes we for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced this is the same guy that was writing in 7 what a wretched man i am but the realization of the victory christ has won on his behalf has overwhelmed him with emotions And he says I am convinced in verse 38 that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons neither powers, neither height uh, uh, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and all God's people said Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the next book if you're not sure where it is. As our Scottish Presbyterian friends would say 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Same guy, Paul, writing to a different church, speaking of the centrality of the resurrection to our faith. Pick up with verse 50. Having explained resurrection and its importance to them, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, we won't all die, but we will all be changed. Now, you and I, as we recognize it, see that that we're all going to die. Except for not everybody will die because when Jesus returns, those who are still alive will be caught up with him first. Nope. We'll be caught up with Him, right? We will belong to Him. We will be with Him. And there will be a resurrection. Not everyone will sleep, but we will all be changed. We will be transformed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Just a little side note that I never thought about until I was going through this. A trumpet is a very joyful instrument, Right? You got your mellow jazz kicking in. That's all good. You you got your soft saxophone getting you all chill. But then when that trumpet kicks in, now it's a party, right? It's a whole different sound. The brass brings it up. It's a declaration of victory with a joyful sound at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. In other words, that which dies must become that which does not. And the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. And here's our memory verse for today. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The day of reward is coming. The victory is already ours in Christ and we are spiritually seated with Him in the heavenly places according to what Paul writes to the Ephesian church. What's true of Christ is true of us. And when He returns, we will reign with Him. This is cause for joy. Because Jesus won this victory, for those who trust Him, we can live in celebration. It's a transcendent joy because it's rooted in His victory and not in my circumstances. It's a greater reality. It's over and above and beyond whatever circumstances we may face. Therefore, as Paul says in Romans 5, we don't just rejoice in the glory that's going to be revealed. We rejoice even in our sufferings because it's part of what God's doing. It's part of what God's producing in us. The real joy of Christmas is the victory God gives us through Jesus Christ. Let's talk about how to experience this joy. I'll go a little more quickly with this part. But don't get your hopes up. I'm not going that quick. First, if we're going to experience this joy as believers, what we mentioned previously, if I'm going to have peace, the real peace of Christmas, I have to actually be reconciled to God. I have to be in a relationship. That Everything hinges on that. I'm either in Christ or I'm not. And I'm not in Christ accidentally. I'm not in Christ because my parents were or because I came to real life. I'm in Christ because by faith, by trusting Him, I have received the gift that He has given me. By grace, I didn't earn it. I didn't have to to you know write a check to the church. Nobody else gave it to me, but by the grace of God shown to us in Jesus, when I receive that by faith, He makes me His child, and I'm reconciled to God, born all over again. That's where everything starts. But as a Christian, once I'm in Christ and I'm going to experience this victorious joy, first, joy must be understood. Joy must be understood. Notice this we cannot rightly celebrate until we grasp the glorious nature of the victory God has given us through Jesus. We cannot rightly celebrate until we grasp the glorious nature of the victory God has given us through Jesus. This is a surpassing, transcendent joy, but we have to realize it. If we don't recognize it for what it is, we're not going to experience that transcendent kind of joy. We'll be like Israel, celebrating the victories without celebrating the victor. Christ followers of all people on earth should be on the one hand the most serious, because we know what's real, but we should be the most joyful the most fun, if I can use that word without sounding crass, we should be the most overflowing with joy because we have the victory in Christ. Second, joy must be given. It must be understood, but it must be given. You don't get this joy just because you want to have this joy. It's given to you when you are in Christ because the Holy Spirit of God then moves into you, dwells in you becomes the center part of who you are and in Galatians five twenty two and 23 joy is described as part of the fruit the production if you will of the Holy Spirit the, the joy of the Lord comes when the Lord gives you that joy from within not the Lord changing your circumstances so that you feel better outside. It's recognizing this victory, choosing to celebrate this victory. We'll get to that in our next point. But it comes from within as the fruit that which is produced by or grown by the Holy Spirit in you. It's not just a, you know, be happy attitude as a famous pastor used to say it's not just thinking happy thoughts like Peter Pan it's not ignoring the difficulties of life and pretending there's no bad thing out there it's embracing all of that reality and knowing that God has changed my destiny so that all of this Here, all of this temporal difficulty that's passing that's fading I'm going to reign with him forever joy must be understood joy must be given Uh, real Christian joy is the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit in us real Christian joy is the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit in us sorry for skipping over that third write this down joy must be chosen it must be given has to be produced by the holy spirit in us but it also must be chosen in other words we must decide to rejoice to celebrate what the lord has done we must decide to rejoice to celebrate what the lord has done the fact that this is a choice it's something you get to do by your will when the holy spirit produces this in you you mentally choose to rejoice is evident from the fact that so often in Scripture we see it as a command. Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just to make sure you don't miss it, he emphasizes it by, again I say, rejoice. There's a choice there. You have to choose joy. Because it's not always going to feel good. But the joy of the Lord comes from the Spirit within and my, my connection with the Spirit in obedience by choosing to focus my attention on what is most real, not what is most evident. We must decide to rejoice, to celebrate what the Lord has done. We'll see that a little more as we go. Joy is a choice. decision, uh, The decision to be joyful in the midst of loss is the decision to value and celebrate a greater treasure. Whatever's going on here, there's something greater. When Jesus told the parable of the kingdom where uh, a man buys a field because there's a treasure in that field. So he sells everything that he's got. This is great loss. I've lost everything. But he does it with joy. Why? Because what he's gaining is far better than what he's giving up to get it. Joy must be chosen. Notice this. Joy must be remembered. Joy must be remembered. What does that mean? Okay, so check this out. We can have joy or we can have worry, but we cannot have both simultaneously. You know this intuitively and by experience. I can have joy. I can have worry. But I can't hold both of them in my hands at the same time. That's kind of like trying to dry off while standing under the shower. It's not going to work. Because my worry is taking my focus away from the reality that gives me joy. And my joy is taking my focus away from the perceived reality that causes me to worry. They are antithetical. I can be saved and be plagued by worry. But I can't be joyful while I'm plagued by worry. This is a similar idea to the chosen aspect of it. I have to remember in the midst of the things that cause me stress, that cause me worry, I have to remember to focus my attention on joy. Lastly, we see that joy must be expressed. Joy must be expressed, must be understood. I have to realize that there is a reason for this joy. It must be given. It has to be something that comes from the Holy Spirit being in me or I just get stuck in the same fleeting human joy of changed circumstances rather than in the joy of a reconciled relation, relationship to God and the victory that Jesus Christ delivers. It has to be chosen. I have to actually act on it. Rejoice is something that I do, not just something that I feel. I have to see Christ as most precious. I have to see His victory as greater than that which drags me down. And it has to be remembered when the times get tough, when the dark clouds gather, I have to remember that the victory that He has won is greater than all of that. And it becomes transcendent to me. But it has to be expressed. Just as Israel celebrated God's victories, I have to celebrate. That's why singing is such a big part of the history of the Christian church. It's not optional, in case you were wondering. Making a joyful noise unto the Lord is a command for Israel. It's an expectation for the church of God. Jesus said, if we're not going to praise Him, the rocks and stones will cry out. He will be praised. But if you're not expressing your joy, you're stifling it. It's not hard for us to recognize that a person that squelches and stifles their emotions eventually is unable to express themselves well and comfortably. Let yourself feel it and let it go. Joy must be expressed. We have to learn to celebrate God's victory and to celebrate everyday victories. It's a natural, inevitable thing when the joy inside of us naturally overflows. That's the expression of it write this down we must kill our self-focus we must kill our self-focus and choose to celebrate our ultimate victory in jesus we must kill our self-focus maybe put in there self-awareness self-consciousness i have to set aside my thoughts about how i might look to others well i don't sing that well who cares when you're singing from your heart, all of heaven is rejoicing with you. And it's a glorious sound before the Lord. Who cares what somebody sitting next to you thinks? That's irrelevant. You've got to put that aside. Now that's not easy to do. You know when that happens? When the thing that you're celebrating is bigger to you than your own reputation. In 2 Samuel 6, The Ark of the Covenant is being brought back to Jerusalem. David thought this was never going to happen again. And God blessed him and brings the Ark of the Covenant back from their enemies. And David, as it comes, basically strips himself down to his undergarments. And he's dancing around the Ark in celebration of what God has done. And his wife, Michael, who had kind of an attitude problem, she, she says, what kind of a crass person are you? You're no better than some servant running around in your underwear here dancing before the Lord so undignified and David said undignified I'm so caught up in the beauty of what God's doing I, how can you even be thinking about that trust me lady I'm going to become more undignified than this as I celebrate God's victories this is a lack of self awareness self consciousness self focus we have to kill that And choose, no matter what anybody thinks, no matter what anybody says, to celebrate our ultimate victory in Jesus. It's a matter of humility over dignity. Joy involves celebration, always. It doesn't depend on a gregarious personality. Some people lift their hands when they praise. Some people don't. Some people are are calm as they do it, and some are dancing in the aisles, right? Right? cultural things, personality things, that's not the point. That's not relevant. But when the joy comes bubbling out of you because you're so filled with Jesus, you're so filled with this response to the Holy Spirit that you can't keep it in. It's like an apple tree trying to squeeze those apples in. No, don't get out of me. Come on, no. You can't do it. Because that growing apple tree is going to produce fruit and the Holy Spirit in you is going to produce joy. And when that joy is in you and it's bubbling up over, it spills out onto everything else and you can't help it. It's not a matter of personality. It's a matter of exuberant acknowledgement of the glory of God and His grace toward us. The more we celebrate Jesus, write this down, the more we celebrate Jesus, the better we see and celebrate His blessings in everyday life. The more we celebrate Jesus, the better we see and celebrate His blessings in everyday life. When my focus is on Him, when I'm excited about this victory in Jesus, then everything else that goes on, I begin to see through that lens. When I am a joy-filled believer, and my focus is on celebrating everything that God is doing, then I begin to see victories every day I never saw before. And things that I once saw as burdens and trials now become opportunities for me to celebrate God. We have to focus. We have to focus our minds. We have to choose, remember, and express this joy everywhere. Because the joy that God provides in the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death is everywhere. As we close this up, We're going to sing in a few moments. and I I just want to talk to you about what we're going to sing. It's not a Christmas song, but it's... Man, it's as good a Christmas song as we could have. Recognizing that the real joy of Christmas is the victory God gives us through Jesus Christ. We can say with Paul, with exuberance, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1939... A man named Ian e. Bartlett wrote a song that you're probably familiar with, called "Victory in Jesus." This song is as an, an example of why I love—I love all kinds of music. Uh, you know, I'm gonna everything from from uh, Johann Sebastian Bach to uh, to you know Christian rap. You name it, I love it. But I cannot think of more joy-filled music than southern gospel and bluegrass music. There's a celebration in it. And this song is an exuberant celebration of the victory God has given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me talk you through the lyrics. I want you to know it when you sing it. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. This is Christmas. In case you thought it wasn't a Christmas song, apparently it is how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. This is where Paul gets excited and says, thanks be to God. He saved a wretch like me so there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I heard about his groaning, his suffering on the cross, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory This is a bit of poetic license. Christ wanted us at the cross, but I take hold of it when I repent and receive Him by faith. In fact, He'll show this victory in just a moment. The chorus, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him. That's an older term, that Heir means before. He loved me before I even knew Him. And all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory. He did it. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. His victory on my behalf occurred at the cross. I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing, how how He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. You See, my need for healing is a lot deeper than restored physical health. That's not the healing that I need. That healing is going to go away. I'm going to get sick again. I'm going to die. What I need is eternal healing of my broken spirit. And somehow, Jesus came and brought to me the victory. The whole victory of Jesus. I love the last verse. I heard about a mansion He's built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beside beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And maybe my favorite line in the song, some sweet day, some sweet day I'll sing up there a song of victory. When we grasp the reality of this victory in Christ, death is no longer something to dread. Instead, it's a blessed reunion, a sweet day to anticipate with sure and certain hope, overwhelming peace, and transcendent joy. A day at which I will finally celebrate this eternal victory perfectly, face to face, in the presence of, of my Lord. Hallelujah. This is the real joy of Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, as we together, as your bodies sing, Lord, let the joy the Spirit produces in us pour over our lips that we might with the the very depths of our soul and the loudness of our voice Bring glory to your name as we celebrate. Thanks be to God. You have given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand,
1: please. (laughs) Wait a second. I have more attachments here. I heard an old old story how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save.
0: gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As you go from this place, do do so with joyous, exuberant celebration. As you go through this Christmas season, may your joy not be found in wishes fulfilled and presents and parties, but in the victory that we have in Jesus Christ alone. Amen and hallelujah. Go in peace. You're dismissed.